Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, guys, that was awful. Come on, the 9.30 was better than that. Good morning, everyone. Oh, brilliant. Love that, love that. It's a real pleasure to be up with you guys, uh, be able to be up here to share with you guys today. Um, for those of you that have met me, my name is James. I am part of the team here. I am married to the beautiful Hannah that was leading us in worship today. And we are the proud parents of the wonderful Connie, our 18-month-year-old Cocker Spaniel. And she keeps us on our toes. In fact, just this week, we uh, noticed that um, for some odd reason, she wasn't eating her food. So she'd come into the kitchen, she'd look at the food, and almost like just turn her nose up at the food. I was like, Hannah, there's something not right here. Something is going on. So anyway, the previous week, she'd been staying with my parents. So I phoned my mom and was like, Mom, like, have you noticed anything strange with Connie? Is she eating her two meals a day? You know, she's like, well, big son, there's a... What are you laughing at? <laughs> Eileen, you know it. <laughs> uh, well, son, no, no, haven't noticed uh, anything, you know, like she was eating her food totally fine. I was like, it's so weird because this week she's just turning her nose and she's like, oh, wait, do you know what? Now that you've said it, son, on Wednesday she didn't really like the chicken and broccoli bake. Tuesday she loved the beef stroganoff and on Thursday she loved the lasagna. I was like, is it any wonder she's not eating her flipping dog food? Anyway, we got to the bottom of it at least. But um, so that is me and my wonderful family. Um, this morning we are ending the series that we've been in called Grace and Peace. And before we do that, uh, just before we do that, I have one announcement for you. And that is that tribes are kicking back next week. Yo. Two people are in a tribe. Come on. Um, for those of you that don't know what tribes are, they're small communities of people that meet all across the Lagan Valley area. And if you're new here or you're interested in getting connected, these are the best place for you to go to meet people, to be a friend, but also to find some friends. Great place for a connection. But not only that, we believe here at Lagan Valley Vineyard that we live out our best days in the context of community and we're actually formed more into the image of Jesus when we're in community. So I'd love to invite you to join one of those if you haven't yet connected with one of those. Um, in terms of where they meet, what time, all that sort of stuff, I'm not going to go through that this morning. You can jump on our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com forward slash tribes, and all the tribes will be there listed, and you can sign up to one of those. If you have any questions, you can grab me after, or my email address is just my name, james at laganvalleyvineyard.com. Um, second thing on that is you may have been a part of our community for quite a while, and it's a new year, and you're thinking, do you know what, James? I would love to actually get involved with building community. I would love to open up my home and host maybe a tribe or lead one. And uh, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that in terms of what that could look like. So again, just email me or grab Stu or myself after the service, and we'd love to, love to chat to you. 
So that's everything on Tribes. So they're kicking off next week. Jump online, sign up to one. Um, you're not going to want to miss out. So as I was saying, we are ending the current series that we've been in the past few weeks. This series has been called Grace and Peace, named after how the Apostle Paul would have opened up his letters in the New Testament. In the past few weeks, we've had Stu, we've had Lauren, and we've had Chris uh, writing their letter to LVV. Now, the more I think about this idea, I was actually quite challenged by it because in lots of Paul's letters, he's actually writing and addressing problems that were going on in the church. But don't worry, I won't be doing that today because we have no problems here. All right? Just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, as Paul would have wrote these letters to the church in Corinth or Rome or Galatia, he also would have had an agenda to edify and encourage the church. So this morning I feel might be a bit challenging for some of us, but my goal this morning is to encourage and edify the church. The church sat here today, the church who is at home this morning, this is for everybody, this is for the entirety of Lagan Valley Vineyard this morning. So let's jump into our teaching text this morning. Hannah, if you want to jump up, Hannah's going to tinker in the background because uh, we have quite a few few verses to get through, and uh, truth be told, actually, we've got some new piano sounds, and uh, it kind of sounds like spa vibes, so if you get bored of me, close your eyes, pretend you're in the Galgorm or Sleeve Donard, wherever. I'm just kidding. Pay attention, all right? <laughs> okay, here we go. So, um, as I kind of read through, I will be stopping at certain segments, um, just to unpack little bits of specific verses. Um, and then when, once I get to the end, I'm going to pull out some points and applications for us this morning. So let's start. Second Samuel, if you've got your Bible, chapter 24. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. It will be, will be on the screen here for you guys this morning. So here we go. Verse 1, and again the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go number Israel and Judah. Now it's important to mention here that this is an old King David. This isn't the young King David that we normally hear about, the young shepherd boy that was anointed by Samuel who took on the giant Goliath. This is a David who has experienced a lot of life, seen a lot of things. He has a lot of experience at this point in his life. And it says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he incited David to go number Israel. Now, David would have known this. To number Israel would have been a sin against God. To count the entirety of Israel, to take a census, was a sin. Only God could tell you to do that. But David, he ignores this and he decides on his own bat to go ahead with this decision. Another thing that's important to mention here is on the surface of the text, it kind of implies that uh, God makes David sin which is not true. When we read 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1, a parallel verse, it says that actually Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So basically what this verse means is that sin was in David's heart, which made it possible for him to disobey 
disobey God and God allows him to make that decision and to walk through with that decision. So that's what that verse means. Verse 2. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and register the people that I may know the number of people. So this is David's slip-up moment. This is the moment he makes a mistake in this story. And if you know the story of David, he's made a core few mistakes in his life. But here he is, he wants to know the number of people. And if you know the story of David, you'll know that when he was a young boy, he wasn't interested in that. Now, he didn't have an army, but he responded to the Lord and said, yes, when he went and approached Goliath. And he said to Goliath, I come not in power or might, but by the name of the Lord of hosts. But here in this moment, David wants to know how big his army is, how powerful he is, how many people he has. Quite a change, you would say. In John Goldengay's commentary of Samuel, he mentions that this is the moment that pride gets the better of David's heart. Okay, moving on, verse 3. Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my Lord, the king, still see it. But why? Why does my Lord, the king, delight in this thing? So Joab in this moment knows what David's about to do isn't the right thing, but he still kind of has his back at the same time. Anyone have a friend like that that gives you advice and tells you you're not making the right decision, but they kind of follow you through with it anyway? I've got a few friends like that in here today. So Joab, this is Joab, the friend of wise counsel. He said to his mate, David, don't be doing that. Bad, bad choice, poor, poor decision. Verse 4 but the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number all of Israel. Verse 5, 6, and 7 then just basically tells the story of them counting all the people. Verse 8, so when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to the king in Israel. There were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Can you imagine them trying to count all those people? Nine months and 20 days it took them to count 800,000 people with no paper or pen, no iPhone. They just had to count. Can you imagine one, two, three, Five, ah, I'm gonna have to start again, Joab. Doesn't say that in here, but it's fun to pretend. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, isn't that what they say? Verse 10 says this David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. His heart struck him after he made the choice to number the people. The NIV says he was conscious stricken. And the message says that David was overwhelmed with guilt. Now, I'm pretty sure we can all relate to David here, right? This is one of those moments where we're faced with making a decision and we know that this is the right thing to do, but this option 
It's so appealing. Oh, I just, I want him. But I know, I, I know that this is the right choice, but this one is just so appealing. It's kind of like when Hannah eats my chocolate, right? For those of you who know me well, you'll know I'm slightly allergic to chocolate. I don't know what that means either. All that I know, I know this, is that after I eat one square of chocolate, I'll get a sore head. So, there's this thing that happens in our house, sorry, Hannah, <laughs> uh, where I'll uh, get chocolate at Easter time, get chocolate at Christmas time, and it'll sit in the fridge, and it'll sit there all day long, won't be touched, but as soon as I open the packet, something happens to Hannah. It's like a green light. She smells the chocolate and goes to the fridge. Now, I'll eat one, one square, hoping to put it in the fridge, come back the next day and eat the second square. Come back from work, open the fridge, and there's just a wrapper sitting there. Connie is sitting on the floor looking at me. Hannah is standing, and I always know that it's Hannah. <laughs> from the guilt in her face. Sorry, Hannah. But you know what? Kind of like David, he gets the numbers back. He made that choice, didn't he? He shouldn't have went and made the census. He shouldn't have went and counted Israel, but he decided to go and do that anyway. And now he's in this place where he feels guilty. He feels conscious stricken. He made that choice thinking, ah, do you know what? That hasn't made me feel the way I thought it was going to. Knowing how many people I have in my army, knowing how many people follow me, knowing how much strength and power that I have, it isn't enough. And the text tells us that David's heart is troubled as he draws close to God again. And David goes on to say this, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now, now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. This is what Hannah says to me when she comes back after she's at my chocolate. Please take away the iniquity. <laughs> oh, just kidding, just kidding. Verse 11. And when David rose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad. I always think that's funny. Keep saying that in like an American accent. Like it's like the American God, Gad. Prophet Gad, sorry if there's any Americans in the room. Uh, David Seer, who was his personal prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord, three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. So these are the three options that the Lord has given David as a consequence for the per choice that he has made. And these are the three options that he gives him. Three years of famine to come to the land three months before his foes as they pursue him and three days of pestilence in the land and then david said to god i am in great distress let us fall into the hand of the lord for his mercy is great but let me not fall into the hand of man so he decides pestilence and they fall into that and I wonder here, as I was reading this story this week, if you knew the story of David, is he thinking about that moment where Saul chased him? You know, the evil, insecure king at the time chased David into the wilderness and put him through months and years of heartache and turmoil. 
It says that David, David didn't want that option, falling into the hands of his enemies. He said, I will not do that again. Because David knew that when the Lord disciplines me, that I know that his mercies are great and his love is great also. And I will place my head in the hands of the Lord. So that's how he makes his decision. Verse 15, and we're going to jump through the next few verses pretty quick. Uh, These verses refer to a little bit of the topic of violence in the Old Testament. So if you do have some questions on that, uh, you can jump onto our website. And they're under the equip section. There's a section on violence in the Old Testament. Stu did a phenomenal job at unpacking what that means. Um, So you can look at that if you stumble upon these verses. All right, verse 15. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand towards Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, It is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. Verse 18, and, and God came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. So David went up at God's word as the Lord commanded. And when Arana looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arana went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Arana said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Arana said to David, Let my lord take, uh, let the lord the king take and offer what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. We learned what yokes were last week, didn't we, Chris? (laughs) All this, O king, Arana gives to the king. And Arana said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Arana, this is what David said, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And the Lord responded to the plea and prayers for the land, and the plague was averted from Israel. That is our teaching text for this morning. Thank you, Hannah, for playing. If some of you have drifted off to the Galagorm, come back, come back, come back. We need you in the room. 25 verses, that was quite a lot, eh? 
Good job, team. All right. So, so David's at the end of his life, a mature, experienced king. And you'd think by this point, you'd have a moment of entitlement, wouldn't you? When Arana offers them the land, you'd expect them to be like, well, yeah, suppose I'm the king, the land should be mine. But no, David does not say this. He says, no, 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 no. I am not entitled to this land. I will pay the price that it takes for the land. He's modeling what sacrifice looks like to us, I think, today. Now, I'm not that old, right? But I am old enough to know what it feels like to be entitled. On the topic of feeling old, actually, just this week, my little niece ran down this aisle here, came to the front, and she uh, was wearing these new glasses that she was wearing. I was like, Stella, you're looking awfully old with those glasses today. I was like, how old do you think I am? She's like, 45. I was like, class. That's why I keep my hair short on the sides, you know, keep those gray hairs away. Anyway, as I was saying, I am old enough to have experienced what it feels like to be entitled. A few weeks ago, I was in Nottingham for my WTC residential. If you don't know what WTC is, it's the theological college that we run here in the church. Hannah heads it up, and if you want to study theology, it's the best place to do it, honestly. She didn't tell me to say that. <laughs> so we were at this residential, and uh, the first residential that I was at, my favorite part was the worship. So all the students, all the faculty would get together, and we would worship together, and it was just an amazing time. And uh, I was really looking forward to it at the second residential. However, when I arrived, I looked, seen the same band but a different worship leader. So it was the same band, but a different worship leader. Anyway, so the worship began, and uh, it began like this. The worship leader was like, hallelujah. You know what I'm talking about. Hallelujah, hey, hallelujah. And I was like, what's going on here? And then he said to us, come on, let me hear you sing. Hallelujah. And I was just like, mm-mm. And then he looked at me, he was like, come on, I, can't, I can see you're not singing, come on, hallelujah. So that progressed then to the next course of, come on, clap your hands, hallelujah. And he had us jumping up and down and clapping and cartwheels around the room, all this crazy stuff. Anyway, there was this really ugly, broken part of me on the inside of me coming to the surface. And I was like, listen, mate, don't tell me what to do. I know do you even know who I am? I'm the worship pastor at Lagan Valley Vineyard. I know how to worship. I know how this works. And see this song you're singing? I don't even like it. <laughs> it's horrible. Terrible. Coming from a worship pastor. Don't sack me, Andy. <laughs> uh, but you know what I did? I actually said sorry to God. I joined in. I, I limped past these ugly thoughts and I worshipped because I'm a good Christian and I wanted to worship Jesus. But there's this thing that comes with maturity and experience, right? Where it's like, I've paid my dues. I know how this thing works. I've experienced a lot. Therefore, I'm entitled to a lot. And in the story of David, at this point, we would experience that to be the same thing, right? David's been through a lot, hasn't he? If you know the story, he was chased by the king, like we mentioned, into the wilderness, chased about for ages, had a terrible time there. He made a bunch of mistakes, 
But he also showed us how repentance works. He showed us what a life of worship looks like. And now at this point in his life, he's the king. He's the, he's the main man. He is the, at the top position. And you'd think he'd feel entitled to this land that Arana is offering. But David says, no, 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 no. I am not entitled to this land. And you know what? Nearness to God means everything to me. I will give up everything again and again and again. I know I'm the king. I know how big my army is now. I know how powerful I am. But none of these things satisfy me. And at the end of my life, I want you to know that even if it costs me, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Now, back in David's day, sacrifices would have looked different with oxen and wood and altars and fires and all that sort of stuff. But for us today, sacrifice is still applicable and it looks slightly different, obviously, now that we are in the New Testament church. So I have pulled together a list of things that may or may not feel like a sacrifice to you. But I just want to read these out to see if any of them relate to you. So this is a list of sacrifices that may or may not relate to you today. So the first one says, telling the truth. Telling the truth. Stop lying to people. Honor your parents. Live with integrity. Be holy. Be who you say you are. Be the same person in secret that you are in public. Keep God as the first and center point of your life. Give the first of your finances to God. Encourage one another. Give up our time for one another. And also, don't neglect the gathering together of believers. Now, on this last one, I have a couple of things that I want to say because I feel actually at this point and at this time where we find ourselves, this one is so, so important. Because I believe that you can't actually fully follow or for, be formed in the image of Jesus without being in community, without gathering with other believers. But James, you see, you don't understand. You see, church for me, church for me is, well, I, I, I get in, I roll out of bed, I'm in my PJs, I'm in front of the screen, my husband brings a big Ulster fry in for me, Sitting there and I, I watch Lagan Valley Vineyard and really enjoy it. And then, do you know what? Then I jump on the Anaheim Vineyard and love their worship. So, so good. And uh, then, do you know what? I jump on the John Tyson's church and I watch a bit of John Tyson's church. Don't really like their worship, but I really like his, his, the way he talks. And do you know what? This alone, folks, isn't church community. It's just, as we learned this week at Learning Labs, for those of us that were there, this is just church consumption. But what about this one? Well, you see, James, for me, church is, well, we get together with friends on a Sunday and we go for a wee walk. We go for a wee walk and we get a wee coffee and we have a wee chat and we go for a wee walk and it's just lovely. <laughs> and as we heard on Wednesday night at Learning Labs that this isn't church community. This is simply connection. And here's the thing, right? None of those things are bad, right? There's nothing wrong with having an Ulster fry and watching the TV. And there's nothing wrong with going for walks and meeting with friends. None of these things are necessarily bad. 
And I do understand, this is really important to say, that there are extreme circumstances for certain people and why they can't be here due to health reasons, for example. But if that isn't you, it's so, so important that we don't neglect the gathering together of believers. It says it in Hebrews that we're not to neglect the gathering together of the saints. And for us, I feel like that's maybe a challenge for us, for some of us, that we need to think about sacrificing our Sunday mornings to be here. If you have an issue with that, don't shoot the messenger. It's in the Bible. So you can take it up with the writer of Hebrews. You might find it hard getting in contact with them, but um, sorry. <laughs> I didn't make it up. It's, it's in there, I promise you. Anyway, with that list of things from the New Testament, and some of those are from the Ten Commandments, we, we could keep going on with that list, couldn't we? We could talk about watching or the consumption of our content, like what we're watching on Instagram and Facebook, Netflix. And we could talk about the sacrifice of living a holy life and so on and so on. And a lot of these things that I've listed won't be a surprise to you, right? Like you'll have, you'll have heard about them before. And if we're being honest, probably on a good week, we maybe do half of these things. Maybe some of us do slightly more in half, and that's not bad. And in reality, do you know what? It's it's enough, isn't it? Well, that's what we've been told. You see, for us in Northern Ireland, we have grown up with an understanding of the gospel and the good news as this: that we pray the sinner's prayer, we ask Jesus into our heart, and that's a sort of we know we know where we're going. We don't actually have to do anything anymore. We do some things for Jesus when we feel like it. The cross is paid for our sins and our debt has been paid. But what if there was more to it than God just sorting out our sins? Because if that's what it's all about, if that's what the cross is all about, just sorting our sins out, why would we give the most when we can give the least? You see, the cross is also about the sacrificial son willingly laying down his life and going to the cross. Jesus didn't just die for our sins so that we could have eternal life, but he went to the cross to model sacrifice, which is the ultimate expression of love. N.T. Wright puts it like this. The sacrifice of Jesus is the moment when the human race in the person of a single man offers itself fully to the creator. Jesus is the perfect example of someone sacrificing their, their life fully to the creator. So why would we do the most when we can do the least? Because Jesus' sacrifice wasn't to stop us from sacrificing, but it was to call us to be a sacrifice. Romans 12:1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. It doesn't say in view of God's mercy, in view of what he's done on the cross. Well done, James, take a seat, that's it, over. That's not what it says. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We're only getting started. And I said this in the first service, as I was preparing, I just felt like at this point, 
I really felt like the Lord challenged me and say, James, I feel like this is a word for the church at the minute. That as we step into sacrifice, being a living sacrifice, as we up the level of things we say yes to Jesus, as we sacrifice our lives, he's going to pour out his spirit in greater measure than we've ever seen before. And um, I just felt like that was something to throw out there as an invitation to you guys. Because here's the thing, right? Here's the deal. There are so many people in your life and in my life and in this whole entire Lagan Valley region that won't experience the love of God unless we become living sacrifices. Jesus is calling us to do the same thing he did, to sacrifice and lay down our lives for the sake of others. And we can't, here's the thing, we can't keep riding on the coattails of other people, right? We can't keep riding on the coattails of what Andy has done over the past eight or nine years, the sacrifice and the time that he's put in. We come on a Sunday, well done for all your hard work. Or Yvette, what she does with compassion and her team, we hear the stories week in and week out. We're like, well done, Yvette, good job, great sacrifice. Or we come on a Sunday and we drop our kids off the kids' rooms and we're like, go on kids, and we thank Cherith for her sacrifice. Nobody is exempt from sacrifice. Jesus is inviting all of us to sacrifice. And if we jump back into the story of David, this is what he is showing us. This is is what he's modeling to us. As the king, he could have easily had anything, anything he wanted at the, uh, just whenever he asked for anything, it would be there in a moment. And Arana is offering David the land. He's like, David, take Take the land, but you know what? It's called David's sacrifice, not Arana's sacrifice. Arana tried to sacrifice the land and give it to David, but David was like, no, 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 no. I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And if David isn't exempt from sacrifice, if King Jesus isn't exempt from sacrifice, well, then we too aren't exempt from sacrifice. So let me ask you this today. Where are you giving the least to God when you need to be given the most? Where are you giving the least to God when you need to be giving the most? I get it. Sacrifice sacrifice is hard, and um, you can talk to Hannah about her chocolate addiction and how she's overcame that. She's sacrificed that. She's not eating that chocolate anymore, I can tell you. Sacrifice is hard. It's, it's, it's not easy. I get it. It's not easy. This past week, we celebrated um, and remembered Martin Luther King, someone who's remembered from over 50 years ago for his work throughout the civil rights movement, someone who brought incredible hope to many that were fighting for a better life in America and the world in the 50s and the 60s. And on Monday, as people were posting on Instagram and Facebook their favorite quotes from his inspiring speeches, I thought this one would be helpful for us today, and it says this. For when people get caught up with that which is right and they are willing to sacrifice for it, there is no stopping short of victory. For when people get caught up with that which is right and they are willing to sacrifice for it, there is no stopping short 
of victory. I wonder for us this morning, if we were to get so caught up with Jesus, letting his sacrifice affect the way in which we live our life and we make our choices, what could the church look like today? I guess we would see there being no stopping short of his kingdom breaking out and through our sacrificed lives. Here's the deal. Saying yes to Jesus always has sacrifice attached to it. The two are inseparable. When you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to sacrifice. Let me finish with this. Guys, if you just want to come on up. So I have a, a friend, and uh, this friend of mine used to text me all the time, and he used to text me and say, hey mate, how's it going, what are you up to on Friday night, question mark. To which I would have responded unreservedly, absolutely nothing, yes I am free. To which I would have received back a message, great, would you babysit for us on Friday? It's like, ah, you rascal. You got me. I've admitted that I'm free and now I can't make up an excuse. And ah. This person kept texting me the same message and finally I figured out a way to get out of it. So when he texts me, hey man, how's it going? Are you free Saturday night? I'd be like, hmm, how come? Question mark. <laughs> but you know what? I think this is a little bit like our relationship with Jesus. At the beginning, we were like, yes. Didn't even think, unreservedly in, yes. And then Jesus said a couple of things after that. And you're like, what? Like, you want me to do what, Jesus? You want me to sacrifice that? You want me to go this way when I want to go this way? You want me to do community with those people? You want me to serve on that team? Sure, I've got kids of my own. I don't need any more kids to be looking after. When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to sacrifice. Nobody is exempt. We're all called to sacrifice. So let me ask you again, where are you giving the least when you need to be given the most? To respond this morning, we're going to take ourselves to the place where sacrifice is modeled in perfect form, and that's Jesus at the cross. And as we do, I'm going to pray for us that, that we have a moment of realization of knowing what Jesus has done for us, that he hasn't just paid for our sins. He's actually modeled what sacrifice looks like. And he's calling us, he's urging us, urging the brothers and sisters in this room today to live our lives as a living sacrifice. So I'm going to pray for us. The guys are going to lead us in a song. And uh, to start with, I just want to encourage you to stay in your seats, close your eyes, and take yourselves to the foot of the cross. And let's remind ourselves what Jesus has sacrificed for us. So... Let me pray for us. Jesus, we, we love you. We love you so, 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 so much. 
And Jesus, we want to take a moment to remind ourselves of the amazing, wonderful, beautiful sacrifice that you showed us in laying down your life and going to the cross. And we place ourselves there right now in this moment. And Lord, we give you full permission to speak to us and to remind us of the call to sacrifice. So we look to you now, Jesus. We look to you, Lord. 